Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. When you are attached to the way things are, it is very difficult to put your faith in anything else. You do not trust yourself to risk experiencing anything other than what you already know. You do not trust life to bring you the results or rewards you desire. You do not trust that you can and will handle whatever comes your way. Without trust, there can be no faith. Without faith, you will hold on to what you know. In the process, you will not be making any progress. Attachment is another way of saying, I don't have faith in anything else. I know what this is. I can handle this. You want to control your experiences and your responses. You see, rather than fight with you for control, life will just send you into the pit of stagnation. This can be extremely painful. Now, you can choose to stay attached and be stagnated in pain and confusion, or you can let go in faith that your next experience will be exactly what you need but did not know you needed. Until today, you may have been holding on, attached to the way things are. In the Archbishop's Corner is where Archbishop Leonard Blair helps you open your heart to the possibilities that there is something great waiting for you. Here is where you can be comfortable to let go of anything or anyone you are attached to, freeing you in faith so that you will be pleasantly surprised. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for helping us stretch faith beyond what we know to a greater and grander experience of becoming faith-filled and fear-free. How are you today? Well, that sounds like a pretty tall order that you just gave, but we'll try our best. You always I'm doing do. Fine. Well, I'm doing fine, thank you. Well, tomorrow is Columbus Day, a day of discovery. And on Friday, the Archdiocese celebrated the 13th annual Archbishop's Columbus Day breakfast, all to help discover the benefits of a Catholic school education. How was the breakfast? Well, it was very fine. Uh, it was there on the shore of uh, in New Haven, and uh, it's uh, uh, an annual event of the uh, FACTS Foundation for Catholic Education, uh, a fundraising breakfast, and uh, it had almost 300 people there uh, being invited to contribute, either corporately or individually, to support our Catholic schools. That in tandem with the annual big St. Patrick's Day breakfast in downtown Hartford, uh, that also is an activity of facts and is uh, meant to help us uh, to raise funds uh, for grants, uh, scholarships, uh, partial scholarships to uh, our, our students. So so through facts and through both of these breakfasts, the Columbus Day Breakfast and the St. Patrick's Day Breakfast, it makes it possible for students who perhaps otherwise might not be able to afford a Catholic school education to go to a Catholic school then, right? Yes, it benefits FACTS as part of their general fundraising uh, cultivation of donors uh, to, for this foundation. This year's speaker was a true inspiration, Staff Sergeant Johnny Joey Jones, a Marine who uh, went through a personal tragedy of his own. And what was the theme of his talk, and, and how did uh, that go over? Well, I think it was really mesmerizing. I think he had everybody's attention. Here is a fine young man uh, who lost both his legs in war, and who's very proud uh, to, uh, to be a Marine, uh, to, to, uh, to have served his country. And uh, if I had to characterize it, I would say that he's a person who recognizes that whatever happens to you in your life, 
there's always an opening for what is uh, positive and good and uh, making a contribution. And I mean, he just gave the most tremendous witness of courage and faith in his own example. I mean, whatever happens to us, it's an opportunity maybe that we didn't envision or maybe something we never wanted, but it's a, a, an invitation to still be a positive human being and not just whistling in the dark kind of thing, but really being a positive influence for other people and doing good. And he mentioned various things in his life that happened after the explosion that took his legs, that the things people said to him, the things that happened, the things that occurred that that really led him on a very positive path. Uh, and, and he's a man of great faith. Would you say that here's an example of a person who took tragedy and turned it into triumph? Well, I think he would probably uh, agree with that in the sense triumph in the sense of overcoming whatever handicaps or obstacles are in our way. He did say something. He, he said it with some hesitation. He said because it, it, it could be perceived as being a little cynical, but somebody complimented him once about saying, oh, you're so positive and, uh, and you've lost your legs. And I guess the person, the, the kind of person he was talking to, he said, yeah. And he said, and you're so negative and you still have yours. Oh. <laughs> it was just an aside. Yeah. And I don't want to make much of it because he almost said it with a little embarrassment. But his point was not to attack another person because that's not the kind of person he is. But to say that, that well, let's put it this way. Isn't there a lot to think about in that little comment? Yeah. Um, isn't there a lot to think about? Truly, and, and sometimes we focus in on the negative rather than looking for the positive and emphasizing the positive in what we can do rather than what we can't do with our lives. Huh? And we take for granted the blessings we have, and uh, we ignore those completely and moan and groan about the things that bother us or that we don't have or this is wrong and that's wrong, and uh, we don't uh, sufficiently give thanks and make positive use of what we do have. And uh, I think that obviously that's what he was saying to that other person. Now, I understand there was also a tribute to Dr. John DeVersa as well. at the Yes, breakfast. Dr. DeVersa was a remarkable uh, man, a, a medical doctor, and also a Knight of Malta who was uh, very active in the wonderful work that the Knights and Dames of Malta do uh, through their medical vans in the Archdiocese, supported uh, in part by our uh, annual appeal. Um, Dr. DeVersa was very active in that. But really the tribute, uh, I, I knew that he was an outstanding person. He died of cancer. You know, just one of those remarkable people that's so admirable and that we give thanks to God for their witness and for their life. And we pray for him and, and now that he's gone to God. And Nick Fratiani, an American Idol, had a message for the attendees of this breakfast as well. Yes, uh, his parents were there. Uh, this uh, young man had attended Catholic school uh, in the Archdiocese, and uh, now he's on this uh, career path of... Uh, theater and uh, music and uh, everything. And um, he's, he, he recorded a message about the importance of his Catholic education uh, for uh, an encouraging support of our Catholic school. So that was, so really we had really stellar witness of, of the three that we, you mentioned uh, for this breakfast. And of course we had a number of children there from our Catholic schools, some of whom were recognized for excellence and Others, the little ones, they would they sang during the breakfast and uh, did the um, national anthem at the beginning. So it's very nice. An important occasion to raise money for partial scholarships for Catholic school students. And we look forward to uh, St. Patrick's Day, the St. Patrick's Day breakfast coming up in March. Archbishop, Tuesday, October 15th, is National Pro-Life Day of Silent Solidarity. Students all across the nation will give up their voices in solidarity with the over 3,000 lives taken by abortion every day, whose voices will never be heard. 
Students choose to take a vow of silence and wear a red armband. And the day raises awareness about abortion and remembers those who were lost by abortion. What are your thoughts on, on this act of solidarity on the part of these young students, Archbishop? Well, as you know, uh, October is the uh, month for the annual Right to Life commemoration and uh, activities. So it's very appropriate. I recently, well, I celebrated at the cathedral recently the pro-life mass with a good attendance of people there. Uh, encouraging people in the parishes and in their individual lives to speak in, in behalf of life and not only speak but uh, take what, you know, be proactive to, to bring about greater respect for life from conception until natural death in our country and around the world. Also, I use the, the editorial, well, I guess it's guest column, not editorial, but a guest column that I have in the New Haven uh, newspaper every so many months uh, to talk about this. And uh, I hope I, that it will be helpful to people and encouraging to those who are uh, working to protect life. And I hope it'll make people who may have an opposite point of view to think about it more deeply and to maybe recognize uh, what we're trying to accomplish for the good of everyone. Thursday, October 17th, is the birth anniversary of the 263rd Pope of the Roman Catholic Church, Pope John Paul I. Born in 1912, he was elected Pope on August 26, 1978. He passed away only 34 days later, making his papacy the shortest in history. Pope John Paul I left a lasting impression on the Church that fondly remembers him as the smiling Pope. Pope Francis has put John Paul I on the path to sainthood, recognizing that he lived the Christian virtues in a heroic way. Did you ever meet John Paul I, Archbishop? No, in those 30 days, no. I think perhaps what the biggest legacy of his pontificate was is that he it was his idea to combine the names John and Paul. And, yeah. of course, Pope John Paul II then followed suit 30 days later or when he was elected. Uh, so that is a kind of permanent uh, legacy of this uh, 30-day pope. On Saturday, all of Connecticut is going to be celebrating the Connecticut Catholic Men's Conference at St. Paul's High School in Bristol. Do you want to say a few words, Archbishop, about the importance of this conference and why men should attend? Well, of course, everybody's called to holiness, and uh, men and women together uh, in family life and community and in, in civic life are all called to holiness. But there are aspects of our call that are tied to our God-given uh, identity as a man or a woman. And, of course, today that's under attack, mm. uh, that, that there can even be such a thing in ex extreme ways that are really incredible. But uh, for the point being that there, uh, we have a women's conference and we have a men's conference in which the um, uh, state of life, the spirituality, the obligations are somewhat different. I think that this, uh, the men's conference, as the women's, when it takes place, are, are both very, very important for spirituality and for encouraging our Catholic people to live a, a gospel life in the world and in their families. It's kind of like a, a shot in the arm of encouragement, getting together with other men who, who may share similar questions about faith, but, but also the same type of challenges to live out one's faith as a man, perhaps as a family man in contemporary society today. And maybe this conference gives men the inspiration and the strength to meet the challenges of living out their Catholic faith in our contemporary society, Archbishop. Well, that's much to be hoped. That's the idea. Do we give people opportunities to grow in their faith? We can't force them. We encourage and we offer and we, we pray with them and for them that they will be moved by these things. Once again, that's the Connecticut Catholic Men's Conference, 
to be held Saturday, October 19th at St. Paul's Catholic High School in Bristol. If you'd like more information or for tickets to the conference, you can go to ctcatholicmen.org. Once again, that address is ctcatholicmen.org. Or you can get tickets at the door, as a matter of fact. Doors open at 7.30 in the morning on Saturday. Archbishop, let's now take a look at the road to happiness in life, and this is where we examine the wisdom of Pope Francis that is drawn from some of the Pope's writings. I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's address, and then we'll ask you to comment with your own thoughts on what Pope Francis has said. And this is taken from Pope Francis's address delivered on June 7th, 2014, and it's called, Read the Signs of God in Your Life. The Pope says, Always love Jesus Christ more and more. Our life is a response to his call. You will be happy and will build a good life if you answer this call. Feel the Lord's presence in your life. He is close to each one of you as a companion. He is a friend who knows how to help and understand you, who encourages you in difficult times, and who never abandons you. In prayer, in conversation with him, and in reading the Bible, you will discover that he is close by. You will also learn to read the signs of God in your life. He always speaks to us, even though the events of our time and our daily life it is up to us to listen to him. Your thoughts, Archbishop? Well, yes, that's a fundamental um, message of the New Testament. Uh, you know, what did, happened at the Transfiguration when the heavens opened up and the, and the Father's voice was heard. This is my beloved Son, listen to him. Mm. And I think uh, that is something that, you know, what does it mean to listen to Christ? Christ says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Yeah, and he gives us so many other not only example, but so many other truths to be believed and lived. But the most fundamental is to give ourselves over to following him uh, through obedience to his commandments, which includes uh, carrying the cross in a sinful world, the cross of our own weakness and sinfulness, the cross uh, that comes to us from the sinfulness of others and from the um, slings and arrows of life in a fallen world. Listening to Christ means hearing his voice even in the midst of all of these things and doing what he commanded us to do. And even in the midst of so much noise that we hear in our contemporary society today. Well, absolutely. And of course, you can't hear if you don't listen. Mm. And um, listening, that's another way of saying prayer, you know, that we, because we have to take all of life and reflect on it prayerfully in order to find the right path and God's help. And, and that's a good point that you make, because we don't, when we think of prayer, we don't often think about listening. We think about talking and telling God what we need or what we want or uh, how our day is going or something like that. But prayer demands a lot of listening as well. Well, the classic definition is lifting your mind and heart to God. If that's what prayer is, well, obviously, once you've lifted your mind and heart to God, that there is a place, there is space created or silence created for, uh, for speaking not with a babble of words, but speaking our heart and mind and listening to what God has to say. And of course, God does not speak to us in words that we can hear, but certainly our hearts can be moved, our minds can be enlightened by the gift of the Holy Spirit in prayer to know what is right and good to do and to get the strength to do it. Well, speaking about listening, let's uh, listen now to the Word of God in the Gospel reading for this 28th Sunday in Ordinary Time the 13th day of October, and today's reading is from Luke's Gospel, the 17th chapter, after the Gospel is dramatically presented. We'll talk with you, Archbishop, asking for your thoughts and what this Gospel means. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance 
and lifted up their voices. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. He was a Samaritan. Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Archbishop, what are your thoughts about this gospel today? Well, two things come to mind right away. Uh, one is that this is a gospel often used on Thanksgiving Day in our country because it is about giving thanks. Jesus says, uh, has none but this foreigner returned to give thanks to God? The others who were healed by him uh, did not come and thank him. Uh, and, you know, it was the unlikely person, the stranger, uh, the Samaritan, who was a shunned kind of uh, person who actually thanked God, or thanked Jesus, well, that's to thank God, and um, who was praised by our Lord as a result. So that's the first thing. Uh, and the second thing is that he says, your faith has saved you. Uh, that all things are possible with faith. You know, we're told in the Gospels that Jesus could not perform many miracles in certain places because of their lack of faith. Mm -hmm. I think that's an astounding truth, that God himself, in the person of Christ incarnate, a second person of the Blessed Trinity, could not perform many miracles in a given place because of their lack of faith. So that means that uh, God respects our freedom uh, God respects our acceptance or rejection of the good things of what he wants to give. And, of course, uh, what is sin, if but not a rejection of God and, and of God's will? Uh, faith is absolutely everything, and, uh, and, and that faith has to be a heart, at the heart of those who profess to be good Catholics or good Christians, uh, to thank God for all that he has done and will do. Why did Jesus tell the ten lepers to go and show themselves to the priests? Well, I believe that that was a prescript of the law of Moses. And so Jesus, you know, Jesus uh, was an observant Jew, if we can put it that way. I think that's the proper way even back then, uh, that Jesus did not just tell people to disregard uh, uh, the Jewish law. And, and here he was, he was telling him to do what, what was proper to do. Is there any significance to the fact that the only one to return to thank Jesus for the healing was a foreigner? I mean, is, is Luke trying to tell us something through this? Yes, that uh, this happens often, that uh, people outside of Judaism are the ones who get praised for their great faith. Of course, there are precedents of this in already and foreshadowings of it in the Old Testament, that uh, being the people of God uh, cannot be an excuse for arrogance, that God loves all people and desires all people to know him, to love him, and to serve him. The Jewish people, this emerges already in the Old Testament, are God's instrument for the good of, of every all nations. And so here when Christ comes, similarly, uh, this then is brought to fulfillment. And for us too, as, you know, Christians, uh, we cannot, uh, we have to realize that we are meant to be instruments of Christ for the salvation of all people. And so... Uh, I think that the sin of the uh, that Jesus condemned was this arrogance of um, and self righteousness 
Uh, and of course, we know that in our own day, Pope Francis has often called attention to this as well, yeah. that he feels that sometimes we in the church become so enclosed, we can become arrogant or self-satisfied self -satisfied, uh, with, uh, with things. And this is, this is deadly for our mission to preach the gospel. If we become self-referential uh, is the way he puts it, we become self-referential. And, you know, that's one of the things in, you know, in the church today, in our own country, in our own archdiocese, we try to encourage parishes to open themselves up. And when I say parishes, I mean the parishioners, to open themselves up to inviting other people, to uh, trying to embrace other people, bringing them to Christ and the sacraments. If, if a parish or a diocese becomes self-referential, that it, it turns in on itself, then it's, it's failing to, to carry out the mission that uh, Jesus commanded us to do. And I think that is uh, echoed or foreshadowed in, in what we see here about the, uh, the Samaritan and, and the Jews, you know, that, that to the extent that some people at, in Christ's time had become self-referential to their Judaism and were, were disdainful of anybody else coming to faith, that, was, uh, that, that earned our Lord's condemnation. No doubt we've all been the recipients of God's love, his generosity in one way or another. What's your recommendation as to the best way to avoid ingratitude and to express thanksgiving to God for his beneficence? Well, I think, what do they say, the, an attitude of gratitude, that catchphrase? I mm. think that's, first of all, it's fundamental that we don't take for granted the things that we have. You know, if we, if we are not uh, major sinners... You know, we haven't committed some horrible sins, uh, adultery and murder. And well, then thank God that it's only by the grace of God that we are the, that we've been preserved from such things. Under other circumstances, without the grace of God, we we may very maybe not those sins, but other grave sins. So we have to be grateful for that. And then when we look at our health, and if we're sick, we have to look at maybe the blessings we have of modern medicine to help us, of the people who are taking care of us, of all you know, everything we like that is a blessing, and uh, and we should be grateful for that rather than uh, looking at the dark side of what we what we don't have or what's afflicting us. Let's take a look now at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. Ed from Hartford, for instance, says, Archbishop, can you please explain why an all powerful, all loving, and merciful God would allow His only begotten Son to go through such an excruciating experience and trial while here on earth? Well, I think it is uh, the mystery of sin and the mystery of redemption. Christ, uh, in uh, being all innocent, bearing the full weight of sin, guiltless though he was, uh, has made uh, expiation not to an avenging God who's angry, but rather the healing power of love over the power of evil and death and, and Satan. So it is the fact that Christ underwent these things, all the things that we experience that are evil and painful in a, in a sinful world, he did it out of perfect love and obedience. And so he overcame uh, those things through that power of love. And I think we can do that in our lives too. There are people who suffer terrible things and through their love, they actually uh, prove that love is stronger than evil, or that good is stronger than evil, that love is even stronger than death. So that's part of this, this great mystery in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. Carol from Barkhamsted says, 
I heard on the news that during the Synod of Bishops, members called for the Catholic Church to deepen its theology in a way that would help people recognize ecological sins. I would love to see environmental change, but wonder how the Church can do anything about this. Do you think people will ever consider sins against the environment as sins against God? Well, this is, uh, let's put it this way, in, in, in the beginning, in creation, the scriptures tell us that God entrusted uh, the created world uh, to the uh, stewardship, shall we say, of uh, the human person, of man and woman made in his image and likeness. And so we have a domination, uh, in a sense, over creation that is God-given, but I even hesitate to word, use the word domination because being fallen and sinful creatures, the domination, by which I mean the power we have to uh, rationally and purposefully and willfully uh, employ nature or use nature, is marred by sin. And so the problem is not that we have a stewardship over, crea- over the created world, because we do, but that we, have exercise- we are exercising very poor stewardship Mm. over God's creation. And so if you're a poor steward, then you know all the parables in the gospel about what happens to poor stewards, that they're held accountable for their actions. So sins against the environment, well, I guess the condition for a sin is that it's seriously wrong, you know it's seriously wrong, and you, you willfully accept it. And I dare say that certainly if some person knew that by their actions they were doing irreparable harm to God's creation, which in the end would harm uh, the human person as well and what we've been given in this world, yes, I think you can say that that is sinful. But, you know, we can't get to the point to, to say if you drink water out of a plastic bottle, you're committing a sin or something like that. Yeah. You know, it's much because we do, we are stewards of creation. The question is not whether we are stewards. The question is whether we're going to exercise good stewardship or bad stewardship. Well, Donald from Middletown has a question for you, and he says... I lost a number of friends and family members over the course of this year, and each time people comfort me by saying, you will see them again in heaven. Lately, I've been wondering if I ever truly will see them again, as nobody really knows what heaven is like. Is there a certain Bible passage that talks about what we can expect if we are fortunate enough to make it into heaven? Well, Donald, St. Paul says, I has not seen or ear heard what God has prepared for those who love him. But I can tell you that it's the, commu- the fundamental truth that we profess in the creed is the communion of saints. Communion of saints means that the church in heaven becomes the glorified bride of Christ of which we are all members. So it's not an impersonal state of being. It's intensely personal. And so I think uh, the church has always believed that, that this is a family of, of faith. You know, even now we are personally united to the saints in heaven, the souls uh, in purgatory, and one another here on, on earth, that we're all part of the communion of saints. So it's intensely personal, and that is a doctrine of the faith. And I think certainly we can, we can, uh, we can expect that uh, we remain the persons that we are, and we encounter others uh, in eternity. So we will see our loved ones in eternity if we are lucky enough to get there ourselves into heaven. Well, I wouldn't say lucky. We're meant to go there. But we have to, I think, I, I understand what you're saying by lucky, that we, we really have to... Well, I don't want to be presumptuous. Know, that's right. Jesus says the road is broad and, the, and wide and smooth that leads to death, and the road that leads to life is hard and, and rocky. 
And so we have to discipline ourselves. We have to repent. We have to do the most fundamental thing that Jesus uh, spoke in the gospel. He said, "Believe, uh, repent and believe. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you conclude our program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Lord God, you've given us so many gifts and blessings, and sometimes we complain and murmur at the crosses we have or the limitations that we suffer. But we pray that you will open our eyes in faith to see that in the midst of it all, each of us is richly blessed, given so many opportunities to move forward in a way that is holy and good and that is a blessing to others. So we pray that you will bless us in this way and bless our local church of the Archdiocese of Hartford. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you very much for uh, joining us in the Archbishop's Corner and uh, providing this inspiration, this moment of inspiration. And we look forward to joining you again next week at 7 o'clock with a repeat at 1130. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.